Uh, if you're new, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure to be with you. In an article in The Atlantic titled, That's It, You're Dead to Me, Caitlin Tiffany recounts an evening when her boyfriend and their younger male model roommate were having an argument about which Lord album was better. Uh, yes, there we go. Thank you. The conversation was going nowhere, but getting louder, and Tiffany was getting tired. And so she snaps, saying, this conversation is dumb, and I don't want to keep having it. She knew it was rude, but she thought being the neutral party in the conversation uh, that she could end it. So Tiffany was surprised uh, when the roommate just gets up, goes to his room, and slams the door. For several months after, Tiffany saw her roommate only once. One time she was having a Zoom call with her friends in the living room, and she could hear the roommate uh, obnoxiously and loudly playing Avril Lavigne's song, Girlfriend. And if you're familiar with the chorus, it goes, hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your girlfriend. No way, no way, I think you need a new one. Eventually, her boyfriend texted the guy to see if they could talk about the situation. He replied saying that it, there wasn't really that much to talk about except this. Your girlfriend is toxic. Monkey covering its eyes emoji. I hope, I really hope, that this situation sounds as ridiculous to you as it does to me. Yet, unfortunately, are any of us that surprised by it? We in the West have the privilege and joy of living in a democracy with people of diverse values. But we also live in an increasingly divided and hostile culture. Some call it cancel culture. Others call it a culture of tribalism. I want to call it a culture of vengeance and ver valueism. Valueism. A culture where violence and vitriol are okay, if not encouraged, towards the right person and where people who have different values are vilified into monstrous, evil people, perpetrators of all the wrongs and injustices in the world. Uh, the arguably most successful and loved artist today, your girl Tay-Tay, has the most songs about revenge than any other artist, says one blog I read. In her latest song, she says, don't get sad, get even. On March 27th, 2022, if you were watching, Will Smith walks across the stage and slaps Chris Rock. Later that year, in May, a man gets up on stage and attempts to stab comedian Dave Chappelle. In 2020 and 2021, we see Asians, primarily seniors, throughout North America being beaten, kicked, shoved, and even stabbed 
out of nowhere. And in those same years, we saw on the news the radical left and right engaging in extreme violence and vitriol online and in person. In their book, The Coddling of the American Mind, activist Greg Lukanoff and NYU business professor and social psychologist Jonathan Haidt put forward that our culture particularly that of Gen Z, are developing three false world views. And they are the untruth of fragility, that exposure to adversity or discomfort is inherently damaging. The untruth of emotional reasoning, that we should always trust our emotions, And finally, the untruth of us versus them, that life is a battle between good people and bad people. We are in a series here at 10th called The Paradoxes of Jesus, where we are exploring the various hot takes of the Son of God. They are countercultural, paradoxical to our way of thinking, to our worldly way of thinking, to what the Bible calls our flesh or our fleshly desires. And our text today, in our culture of vengeance and viewism, uh, valueism, sorry, will be just that. And so if you have your Bibles, Uh, Let me encourage you, always bring your Bible. Uh, If you have your Bibles or take the Bibles in front of you, it will be helpful to follow along throughout the rest of the sermon. Uh, You can turn to Matthew 5.43. That's the, the first book in the New Testament, probably about three quarters away. Matthew 5.43. Matthew 5, 43. Now, uh, when you have that, would you stand for me to honor God, honor God's word uh, for the reading of uh, God's word. Let's honor him with our bodies. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Bless you. So our text today is located within Jesus's famous and and really only sermon we know of called the Sermon on the Mount. And in particular, uh, it is found in Jesus's explanation of the commandment to not murder. If you want to go a little above in the Bible to verses 21, you can follow with me. Jesus starts by saying, 
You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. For about 15 verses after that, Jesus talks about adultery, divorce, and promises. And then he goes back to his teaching on not murdering uh, by saying this, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And then Jesus wraps up this whole teaching on the sixth commandment by saying uh, to love our enemies. And what Jesus is trying to make crystal clear to his audience and to us in unpacking the commandment to not murder is that when it comes to obeying God, when it comes to following the Ten Commandments, in particular, the commandment to not murder, not murdering is not enough. Not murdering is not enough. In Leviticus, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When the Jewish people read this, heard this, they, they struggled. You see, they, they struggled too, like we do, with vengeance and valueism. Uh, and so, like us, they made loopholes. Uh, they eventually started asking, oh, like, what does God mean by your neighbor? You know, what, what, what does God really mean by our people? God can't possibly, can't possibly mean the Romans, our oppressors. God can't possibly mean the pagans, those that blaspheme God and mock us. No way. And so eventually, this led them to believe that God actually only meant their fellow Jew when he said, your people and your neighbor. And over time, the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself became to be understood as love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Old Testament, just to be sure, does it say to uh, hate anybody. God never commands this. And so this is why Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, not it was written. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And why he then says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In other words, what you heard, what you think, what you say, ain't biblical ain't right. 
I think as the young people say, this ain't it, chief. I'm learning. In our text and the broader text of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is simply saying, love your neighbor, even your enemies. To truly follow my commandments, to truly follow God, to truly love your neighbor includes even loving your enemies, even the roommate that you think is toxic. Love, the driver that almost ran you over because they were texting, the cyclist and the pedestrian who think they own the road, the neighbor who plays their music too loud and stomps when they walk, the person who left their needles at the school park, the person who betrayed your trust, the incompetent colleagues and boss who takes credit for your work, the people you believe responsible for the injustices in the world, the people who vilify you without knowing you, the church, church hurt is real, and that political figure and the people that voted for them. Jesus says, love everyone, even your enemies. What Jesus says next, however, even spicier, even hotter. He doesn't say if we don't love our enemies, the world won't be convinced of who he is. He doesn't say if we don't love our enemies, we will never get to world peace and unity. Jesus says that what's at stake isn't evangelism or unity as important as those things are but instead our faith. He says, love your enemies that you may be children of your father in heaven. That if you consider yourself a child of God, says Jesus, then you got to act like God the father. You got to resemble God the father who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You have to love and bless people regardless of their actions, values, and life. The great theologian John Calvin said, when Christ adds immediately that you may be the children of your father, he gives us proof beyond any doubt that these sayings are plain commandments and bind us to their obedience. When Jesus declares openly that no one can be a child of God unless he loves those who hate him, who dares to say that we are not under obligation to practice this teaching? It is though he said, let anyone who would consider himself a Christian love his enemies. Or in the great prayer written to her enemy, your girl Beyonce says, I'm wishing you the best. Pray that you are blessed. Much sex, success, no stress, and lots of happiness. I'm not going to blast you on the radio. I'm not going to lie on you and your family. Oh, I'm not going to hate you in the magazine. And here's my favorite line. I'm not going to compromise my Christianity. You know, I'm not going to diss you on the internet. Because my mama taught me better than that. 
From John Calvin to Beyonce, people have read the teachings of Jesus and understood that being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus means loving one's enemies. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Oh no, he does not. He, he goes further. Honestly, I don't know what was going on in Jesus's mind, but he decides to double down on his point. If he hasn't already upset people, he definitely is going to now. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? They're not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. It's like, guys, the tax collectors... The Jewish traders who sold their souls to the evil Roman Empire, who tax you beyond your means for their own selfish gain. And the pagans, those guys, who worship idols and go to the Colosseum on the Sabbath to watch gladiators kill themselves for their entertainment. Those people are good family members too. Those people are good friends too. And it's no big deal if you are too. Basically, imagine someone today in an occupied country against their will and being told that they are no better than their occupiers. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is zinger. He's just going in for it. He's not holding back any punches. And so he concludes this teaching with the final words, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, the word perfect isn't exactly how we usually use the word perfect. It doesn't mean be a 10 out of 10 in morals all the time. And it doesn't mean be like God, like be powerful, be omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. That's not what Jesus is saying. The word in Greek is teleos, which means uh, completion, perfect, uh, mature, adult, full development. And he writes, says it means a character over uh, sorry, formed by overflowing generous love. Uh, scholar Craig Keener says it's full allegiance to God's will in the Mosaic law as Jesus has interpreted. Martin Luther said it is to have an entire, whole, and undivided love. Hear this paraphrase by New Testament scholar Scott McKnight. Be perfect. That is, love both your fellow Jewish neighbors and the Roman enemies in your midst. As your father makes the sun to rise and the rain to fall on all humans, Jews and Romans, so you are to be perfect in love as your father is perfect in love. I am not a theologian, but if I could summarize Jesus is teaching it, it would be simply this. Be like Jesus, the greatest example of enemy love. 
who, when being arrested, heals his arrester whose ear was cut off by one of Jesus' disciples to defend him. Who, when being crucified, prays over and over again, according to the tense in Greek, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And who died for all of us, as Paul says in Romans, while we were God's enemies. The exact same word. Jews, sorry, Jesus, more than anyone in the history of humanity, of the world, expresses, epitomizes love for one's enemy. The Bible teaches that all of us before Christ were God's enemies. We weren't just lost people, people making bad decisions, but enemies. We were people who followed another Lord. People who, as Paul says, followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And who were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, I know this might be hard to swallow and not uh, the preference of our culture today. But according to Christian theology, no matter how good we think we are, if we're not as holy and as perfect as God is, we are subject to his wrath. Now, let me try to explain this. Over a week ago, I had dinner with my extended family. And as we were chatting at the dinner table, I overheard my mid-80s, late-80s-something-year-old grandmother tell me about, tell my mom how a man grabbed my grandmother's hair and pulled it without asking to see if her hair was real. In that moment, a fire of anger exploded within me. I got dark fast. My grandma is a small woman. She's under five feet. She's under 100 pounds. She looked after me before school and after school for 10 years. She has a hunch and she walks with a cane. And the moment that I heard someone treated her like that, oh, I thought this guy needs to get punished badly. Now I found out that this happened, thank God, decades ago. And the man was a coworker. That doesn't justify any of it. But my point is this. The greater the innocence, the greater the goodness of the person, the greater the punishment that perpetrator deserves. And so because Jesus is the perfectly, if not infinitely, innocent and good one, and because, as Paul says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
that we have all hurt someone made in God's image that God loves deeply, that we have all hurt God's grandmother, God's child. We, as a result, without Christ, are enemies of God and deserving of wrath. And I say all this not to make anyone feel like really bad about themselves or or to shame people, but because we can't truly love our enemy until we grasp the enormity of our own sin. Dr. Timothy Keller of New York City said, unless you come to understand the seeds of the worst sins live in your own breast, unless that humbles you, unless you begin to see you're not really intrinsically that much different from the people around you, unless you recognize the fact that yes, God has come to you and through Christ you've been forgiven, but that doesn't make you that much different than other people, you will never be able to come about and have that radical love ethic. Only those who can truly see and confess their sin are those who can truly love their enemy as Christ loves them. What, though, does this love look like? The word used for love is the Greek word agape. You may be familiar with that. It's not philia of friendship, not eros of passion, or storge even of family. Agape means a love that gives itself for the good of the recipient. It doesn't mean we have to like them as a friend, vibe with them as a lover, or devote our entire life to their flourishing as a parent. But instead, we desire and we work for their highest good while respecting their autonomy, just as God does to all of us. Luke is more explicit in his recount of Jesus' teaching. He writes, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Again, Scott McKnight says, love must be defined by how God loves. From God's behaviors, we learn that love is a rugged commitment to be with someone as someone who is for that person's good and to love them unto God's formative purpose. Jesus commands his followers to commit themselves to be with their enemies, which involves proximity and attentiveness, and to be the sort of person who longs for and works for the good of the enemy. However, let me say three brief things on what This love does not mean. Firstly, love is not abusive. To love is to not let yourself be trampled over or to stay in dangerous and abusive relationships. Love is also not 
all affirming. To love does not mean we affirm or encourage everything a person wants or believes. We seek their good, their best, according to scripture and work towards it. And thirdly, love is not absolute. To love does not mean we love without boundaries. Jesus had boundaries. Jesus did not give everything to everyone. Dr. Reverend King said, agape is more than romantic love. Agape is more than friendship. Agape is understanding redemptive goodwill for all men. Agape is an overflowing love, a spontaneous love, which seeks nothing in return. And theologians would say that it is the love of God operating in the human heart. When you rise to love on this level, you love all men, not because you like them, not because their ways appeal to you, not because they are worthful to you, but you love all men because God loves them. And you rise to the noble heights of loving the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. And I think this is what Jesus means when he says, love your enemies. But what if we cannot love our enemies? What if the relationship is cut off, non-existent? For I bet most of us, our greatest enemies, internally at least, are not those that are close to us. They're not people we can just bake a pie for or whatever and, and bring over. They probably don't want anything to do with us. We are their enemy too, to them. And so one thing we can all do and at any time, is to pray. St. John Chrysostom saw praying for one's enemies as the, quote, highest, very highest summit of self-control. He thought it was even greater than actually doing good to the enemy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it the supreme command. John Stott said, it is impossible to pray for people without loving them and impossible to go on praying for them without discovering that our love for them grows and matures. We must not, therefore, wait before praying for enemies until we feel some love for them in our heart. We must begin to pray for them before we are conscious of loving them. And we shall find our love break first into bud, then into blossom. Over the last couple of weeks, in light of our text, I have been praying, praying for for, for many people. Uh, One of those people is a political figure. Now, I'm not going to say the country or the party, that's not important at all. I think any of us who have beliefs and and opinions and values are going to have somebody in the world that we disagree with. And I'll tell you, as much as I dislike this person's policies and this 
even this person's personality. It's hard not to develop a love for them, for this person, when I prayed for them. When I remember that they are a person, that they are made in the image of God, that they have a family, that they are loved, that they are loved by God, that Christ died for them also. And when I prayed, I pictured myself with them in front of God in all his glory. And I asked God how they felt, uh, how God felt about this person. And all I heard was, I love this person. I love this person as much as I love you. As much as I love Christ, the son. I tell you, it is very hard to not have some sort of love for a person when you recognize that the person is equally loved by God. And so I ask for God to bless this person that their family would flourish, that God would lead them, that they uh, would discover the incredible and transformative love of Jesus. I don't necessarily want to be their best friend, nor can I, nor do I love them as I love my, my father or my mother but I don't consider this person nearly as much as an enemy and much more as a neighbor. Praying for our enemies, for anyone for that matter, doesn't have to be complicated. All we have to do is just take the time to, to think of them, to imagine them, to stand spiritually with them before God and, and plead for them to ask God, would you bless them? Would you protect them? Would you lead them? Would you transform them? And so, who are your enemies? And how is God calling you to love and pray for them as your neighbor? In our world of vengeance and valueism, I believe the church more than ever needs to be a, a signpost, a glimpse, a beacon, uh, as hard as it is, of another way, a better way, uh, the Jesus way. In fact, in the early days of the church, that was one of the, the things most uh, noticed by the outside world. People would talk about the church and how they were diverse and how they loved their enemies and how they loved people that mocked them. And so let me propose, let's again be that type of people, that, that type of community. Let's be people who pave the way to a better way of living. Let's not be people who only love those who love us and, and bless those who bless us. 
but let's be children of God who, who blesses the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's be followers of the Christ who died for all of us while we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies. Let us be people who love our neighbor and even our enemies. Let us be Christ in and to this divided and hostile world. Let's pray. God, you are the one who comes to us, who leaves everything to to be with us and to save us from death and from sin, even though we have rebelled against you, turned away from you. God, thank you for your love and thank you for your sacrifice. Help us by your Holy Spirit to become like you, to live like you, to lay our pride and our lives down and to love our neighbor, even our enemy. And as we do that, may we be a community that points to you, the source of life, love itself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.